Tim, my brother. It is great being on talking podcast with you. Always fun to do. So, Tim, I'm going to set up the show we're talking about this evening. So we're going to be reviewing All In. And I was doing the usual thing of just kind of perusing news and noteworthy podcast charts and all that, this stuff. And I and to try and find material for you and I and shows that we could be stoked and be into. And the show description of this one jumped out at me immediately, uh, even beyond the title of All In and the, the image of the poker chips and the cards on there. Uh, so I will read the show description to set a little bit of context here. So All In with Chamath Palipataya. Jason Kalikinis, and I probably butchered that name, please pardon me, David Sachs and David Freeberg. So this is four guys that we'll talk a bit about, but that's the full name and the title, by the way, of the show. So this is Industry Veterans, Degenerate Gamblers, and Besties. Cover all things economic, tech, political, social, and poker. So with that set up, I'm all in. Um, I, no pun intended, but I'm like, wow, that sounds like it's right up my alley. Sounds fascinating. So I'll talk real quickly. Um, none of the names jumped out of me of these individuals. However, from just digging in even slightly, just by some simple Google, looking at the Twitter accounts, these are all pretty significant movers and shakers in the business world. We're talking about founders, investors, operators, brand builders, chairman, SEO, or excuse me, CEOs, like legitimate guys in the business world. And they're getting together and having very open, transparent discussions about pressing matters and the things that I just detailed. So Tim, I'll turn it over to you. When I threw this out to you, what was your expectation of what we might be getting into and how did this show land for you? So yeah, this show was never on my radar. And when you had suggested it, um, you know, I looked at the episode feed and, you know, the episode we were going to talk about the Robin Hood situation, which I'm sure we're going to get into here shortly. Uh, I'm fascinated by, you know, it it was, you know, it's been headlining the news all all week. It's, it's a fascinating situation. um, And it's, you know, it's breaking news. So I was just from that standpoint, I, I was stoked to dive into this podcast. I didn't know who these guys were either. Um, but I just went down, I'm like, you know, maybe I should just get like a deeper understanding of this podcast before I came on here and talked about it. So I went through some of the episodes, there's maybe, you know, 19 episodes and they're talking politics. They're talking news. Uh, I went back to the first one and downloaded it and I was just super impressed that these guys, you know, are talking about, you know, subjects and and politics and and things that I'm into and what I learned when I listened to you know the most recent show these guys are like high highly successful intelligent dudes and I'm really glad that we stumbled upon this one because um I've been searching for kind of you know with with all the miss and disinformation out there and what news sources to trust and what not how not to be manipulated uh, by biased news. I, I think I'm comfortable in saying that listening to these guys um, is uh, sort of like a comforting notion to kind of get unbiased, accurate information, especially from a political and a news standpoint. Well, and also though, Tim, to your point, it's filtered through economics and investment. And I don't even know if I could get a read one way or another, the political leanings of these guys, just from this one episode, maybe becomes 
clearer the deeper you get into the catalog. But I heard some railing against COVID protocol based on the impact of the, the economy. So I, I wouldn't just chalk this up to younger progressive uh, type guys here. And I, I assume these guys skew a little bit younger uh, than myself. I'm mid 40s. But um, <laughs> two things that also jumped out at me, I'm such a geek, were um, people that followed these guys on Twitter. So real quick. So for Chamath, Polyapatia, uh, JJ Reddick follows him. You know, you and I being a Philly guy, he was at a nice little stint with the Sixers. So it was cool. And he's also, by the way, a significant podcaster on his own. He follows Jamath. And then for me, the biggest win was uh, David Freeberg is followed by Tim Ferriss. And Tim is one of the ultimate podcasters. And I love that guy's content and the work he puts out. So if Tim is paying attention following David Freeberg, then we have a significant group of guys here that are really kind of bearing their souls and their their perspectives on topics. And so, Tim, you mentioned that the topic you and I or the, the episode, I should say, that you and I chose to hyper focus on was the most Karen episode. It was published in January 30th. It was episode number 19 titled Breaking Down Robin Hood's GameStop Decision. Why did it happen and how can it be prevented in the future? And dude, these guys get heated in here. And the one um, individual, the one co-host of the the four cats here um, is an investor in Robin Hood. So he clearly gets his back up a little bit. And Chamath really goes in on him and goes in on Robin Hood. So I know you have... Um, some clips queued up that we're going to get into, but maybe just give a thought or two about the episode in of itself, Tim, and let's start peeling the onion on this. Yeah, that, that was one of the other aspects that really intrigued me about these this podcast is because these are some like high level intelligent dudes and they're best friends. And they're really kind of like you could tell like they, they were saying some pretty serious things to each other. You know, uh, one of the guys was getting mad. Um, I think they came at Chamath pretty, pretty hard from his position. And I'm, you know, these guys are telling it to you straight. And I really picked up on that, on that vibe. And and I really appreciate it that you're, you're getting like, um, you know, how these guys truly feel uh, about subject matter and that you can trust them. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I can set us up here uh, with, with Robin Hood uh, did you have anything that – should we break down the Robin Hood situation from like our understanding yeah, before you we know, get into it? Yeah, sure. Let's do that. So I, I got tipped off to this right on the main day. It was sort of breaking a colleague from work. It's like, hey, are you paying attention to this at all? And from the moment I got my eyes on it, I was completely glued and compelled to it. Now, look – I am only an investor in the sense that I am a passive sort of low fee index fund guy and I have those in my retirement accounts, but I still keep an eye on these news and keep an eye on markets and investments at a very superficial level, but I'm more intrigued by sort of like the story driven aspects of it all. Um, And so this story was bananas to me. And then when I saw um, guys like Portnoy from Barstool really just get um, completely um, maniacal about it and on the attack with Robin Hood and the owner from the Mets was involved with like a, a, he was involved in injecting capital and in one of the platform, like just craziness. Um, 
So yeah, I was evolved from it as far as just being compelled and glued to the TV. And um, I mean, dude, do you, do you think we need to even kind of just set up from a cursory level like what it is we're talking about? I assume most people have an understanding, but you do want to give like a 30 second snapshot of just what it is we're even talking about? I, I can try. So m- my understanding is that um, you know these industry guys, he- hedge fund guys, l- let's call them you know professional industry investor type guys. They all notice this company. We'll, we'll just say GameStop because that's the one that's that's been focused. And like you know anyone that's anyone, all, all the guys that are supposed to be the smartest guys in the room are are shorting GameStop stock because right you know GameStop. It's a brick and mortar situation. They're in malls. Nobody's going to the malls anymore. No one's going to brick and mortar. Not to mention, you know, you can download all your games now and get all your hardware from Amazon. So I'm not, no one's seeing a need for GameStop in the future. So people are saying, hey, you know, I don't think GameStop's worth what they are. They're, I see them going out of business. So let's short their stock, meaning, you know, we're, we're going to bet against the success of the company. And I think it became so dog- dogmatic, uh, so obvious. Uh, and someone picked up the, these Reddit guys picked up um, on the fact that you know these professional investors were all shorting the stock, and I, you know maybe because they're millennials or maybe they had an, a nostalgia for GameStop, they all banded together um, and started buying up stock, you know, knowing that it would hurt these uh, hedge fund guys. And um, they call that the squeeze. And that now they, you know, uh, they're losing money as the stock climbs in value because so many regular Joes, regular folks uh, uh, from the public are buying this stock and they're being able to do so with apps like uh, Robinhood, which allows, you know, regular people to buy the stocks from, from their phone. Uh, so all this started going haywire. What um, Once you know, these big Wall Street guys stood to lose billions of dollars because they bet that the stock would lose, but the stock's actually gaining. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Robinhood doesn't allow you to buy the stock. And it's kind of um, implied that these people that own Robinhood uh, also own a big hedge fund where these guys were betting against the stock. So there's almost a conflict of interest. So there's kind of all these ethical questions too. I, I, did that did that do it justice, man? No, I, I think you did a fantastic job. And just to even take a step back real quick, so uh, I'm not <laughs> I'm not well read into this kind of stuff. But the basic premise of shorting a stock is you borrow stock, like shares of stocks of that company that you deem is going to lose value. So you're going to make a bet. You borrow stocks that you don't even own. You just borrow it from a brokerage firm or whatever, and you sell those stocks, let's say at $10, hoping it's going to drop down to five. And when it drops down to five, you buy them back and return it, those shares back to the brokerage. And the difference that you pocket, like that's your profit, the, the difference that it drops. And Tim, I thought the guys in the All In Podcast made made some incredible points what what is the value to businesses, economy, to just uh, growing? The, like, what is the value in just that type of transaction in of itself? And is Wall Street even funding 
capital for businesses anymore to go hire and create jobs to do research and development. It seems like all that's going on anymore is these crazy gambling type transactions that aren't even there to to insert capital into growing businesses. Like that at the end of the day, back in the day, was what Wall Street was for. A business looked to raise capital so they could grow, hire people, do research and development, fund initiatives and projects. And as that even happening anymore in the world, which is bananas. Right. And I think these guys, Shamath, Jason, David, and David point out, you know, um, I'm a, I'm like kind of like a, um, what a purist free, free trade guy. So, you know, at my core, I do believe in the value of the stock market. I do believe that, you know, there's, there's a, a free market aspect. And if, if, if there's a stock that, appears overvalued. Um, that's why I don't have a problem with shorting stock at, okay. at the end of the day. Yep. I, I know, you know, with, with the mortgage thing, you know, people, you know, placing a bet that a company is going to fail or that people are going to lose money sort of ethically seems weird to me. But the other side of that coin is, hey, man, if, if people are overvaluing, you know, a commodity, and I don't think that product is worth the price of what everyone else is is paying. Uh, I, I think there needs to be market aspects to, to correct it. You know, if, if, you know, people, you know, if GameStop shouldn't be worth what it is because it may not be in existence in two years because it's a brick and mortar operation. I, I think some investors are rightfully point out like, Hey, th- this company is not worth what, what they say they are. And we have good reason why. And we don't think that stock should be as, as value as it is. I, I think from a purist standpoint, you know, I, I, I'm a believer in it, but obviously this situation throws all kinds of monkey wrenches in that kind of purist uh, take on it. So dude, you say you're okay with shorting stocks and I want to get back to that in a second, because in theory, I'm not necessarily so opposed to that. But first, let me just say this, the guys on the all in podcast, to me, this was the best deconstruction in conversation I've heard around this Wall Street bets uh, scenario yet. I've heard a lot of like YouTube videos, people commenting, cable news and stuff. The hour and 20 minutes that these guys dedicate to just deeply debating and getting in underneath the the just the the dirt and grime of it all and, and just really unpacking it, I thought was so informing and entertaining at the same time. So, you know, credit to these guys. I don't know if they're as passionate and fired up about every topic they covered, but they've brought me back to the table where I'm going to listen to the next episode they publish and the one after that, just to see what else they get into discussing. Because by far and away, this was the best deconstruction of this crisis, I guess we can call it, that I've heard since it broke. Back to your shorting thing. So I get it. Something's overvalued. You should be able to apply sort of your uh, experience and perspective and, and, and make sort of a, a, an educated bet that that, that value is going to go down and I, and I want to be able to profit on that. But dude, Tim, did I hear it right? <laughs> did these guys explain that more shares of GameStop got shorted than are actually available out in the marketplace? So So it was almost like, at 120% shorted. Uh, did I hear that right? Yeah, I thought I heard 140%. Yeah, shorted. okay, you could be right. So, but more that's than insane. Yeah, more more stocks were shorted than stocks existed. How, how is that legal, man? Like 
that's a problem in itself. Well, dude, that just that, like, forget everything else. Just that piece, does that not give you pause and say the entire system is a sham? And how are our retirements pinned to this with pensions having evaporated long ago? Our generation was really the first generation, uh, Generation X, that didn't have any shot of getting a pension. And so we got tied into to, you know, beholden to having to play the 401k game and allowing investments to be up to our own discrepancy, which is crazy. But when you hear things like this, like how can all of it just can't be a total joke? Like any part of markets and Wall Street investments, if you're allowing more shares that even exist to be shorted. Yeah, exactly. And this is why kind of from a fundamental aspect, like I think what these Reddit bros, um, you know, uh, for a lack of a better word, uh, did was kind of they, they shined a light on this whole situation, right? I mean, these guys are making billions and billions of dollars off of this kind of like weird system. And they, they, they saw a weakness in their little money-making scheme and they exploited it. So they really shined a light on, on what's happening and what, you know, some of these hedge fund guys have been doing to maybe a lot of other people throughout the last couple of decades they kind of flipped the script and did it to them. So that's why I don't really feel so bad for these hedge fund guys losing money. Now, you know, I heard some other analysis about it. You know, you know, these hedge fund guys, they're going to get, you know, maybe bailouts. Uh, they'll probably get lines of credit from, from banks and other financial institutions. So they're, they're going to come out okay. Uh, the, the payments on the Teslas and the mortgage payments are going to get made in, in the ritzy suburbs. My fear is, you know, Ultimately, there's my understanding is there's going to be someone left holding the bag of this GameStop stock, and it's probably going to be unsophisticated regular Joes that are going to get hurt by this situation. And that's kind of why I'm, I'm you know, I have concern about the whole situation in general. Well, to your point, and then I think we should start digging into a clip or two from the All In guys. But to your point, the hedge funds managers are going to be fine. It's the assets they have under management, so to speak, the money they've taken in from whether it be uh, pension funds or, or other sort of equities or individuals who weren't uh, speculating wildly, they were just entrusting to get a return of growth from their investment in the hedge fund. They're the people they're going to get crushed by this if a hedge fund gets uh, obliterated. So, so dude, let, let's hear from the guys themselves. Why don't you cue up uh, a clip or two from the All In podcast? And again, this is uh, this is Shamath, this is Jason, David, and David. Let's hear a little bit from these guys, and we'll react to what they have to say on this episode. All right. I think this is Shamath kind of setting up, you know, from his point, the whole Robin Hood situation. So let's listen. If we had to summarize all of this in a nutshell, that's what we know. We know that it started out as people debating the true fundamental value of GameStop. And it morphed into a momentum trade where a bunch of folks got dogmatic about a short. So, right. So what he's saying is, you know, these industry guys, uh, they kind of showed their hand a little bit, right? It's like, hey, you know, we think GameStop is is a short. We're all going to make money on it. And, um, you know, they didn't realize that, you know, by kind of tipping their hand that these Reddit guys could come in and exploit, exploit them. 
which is kind of a new phenomenon, right? Because now it's this this social media, this scale. Uh, people can buy stock, the regular public, with just their phone. And um, you're able to scale that, you know, through social media. And that's how these hedge fund guys got burned. Yeah. And Tim, that brings up another concept where I'm just jaw dropped. How Robinhood actually earns money. So the big hook for them is it, there's no commissions assessed to the to the public, the end user client. Yo, you and me, if we get the Robinhood app and we invest, we can trade for free on there. How Robinhood gets paid is through one massive, um, I don't know if it's, and shame on me for not understanding this, but I think it, was it the Citadel, Tim? Is it another brokerage firm or a, a big fund itself that pays Robinhood for the data analytics on Robinhood's users? So when they go, if you and I were to go to make a trade, Robinhood sends that information to Citadel, who pays them, and they send them the information like nanoseconds Just, before trades are made. Am I saying that right? Right. And they can kind of make the trades right one nanosecond ahead of them. So they're always ahead of the game. I, I always thought in the back of my mind... And, and believe me, I'm just a dude in, in the basement recording a podcast. So I, I don't know financial stuff that much as much as these dudes. But I always thought when they had like E-Trade and Ameritrade and when they kind of open up this like investment to the public, I always thought like, hey, wh- where's another sector of the society where we can get money in investors? Where, where can we pull money from? And I always thought like just having – access to trade stocks from the regular public was the professionals kind of, you know, um, letting in kind of like a sucker to the poker table. Like we're definitely going to take this guy's money. It's it's a great analogy. Um, and it's almost like the sucker got their chops refined by playing online poker in their, in their basement for 24 hours. And now they're, they're showing up and ready to, to take their winnings back. You know what I mean? Then that's, what's going on. Like the, the chickens have come home to roost, which is crazy, man. Let's queue up another uh, clip. Let's hear from the all in podcast again. Uh, yeah. I want to get your take on this. Cause I, I think this is kind of one of the big issues at heart. Uh, what one Robin hood shut down. So let's listen. Just at the moment where they're going to like, basically bust them out of the game for good. Robinhood shuts down the buy side of the trade. So, right. So, uh, you know, this story breaks. Uh, hedge fund guys are losing money. Uh, people are, are buying Robinhood or uh, GameStop stocks on the Robinhood app. And the more stocks that people buy, the more money hedge fund guys lose. And all of a sudden, you can't buy them on Robinhood anymore. And then we find out that Robinhood's tied in with Citadel. And Citadel is one of these firms that have a huge uh, short on GameStop. So there's that conflict there. So that I think that's the issue at heart. And I think that's what needs to be investigated by the SEC and the government, man. No doubt about it. And that's what has guys like Dave Portnoy screaming, uh, the Robinhood founders need to be in jail. Someone needs to be in jail as a result of this. By the way, I- I'm just saying what I've heard. I'm not taking that stance. I'm not calling for anyone to be in jail. However, just the concept of being told I can no longer trade something because another entity is potentially being hurt by that. That sounds like the most un-American, non-free market capital thing I've ever heard in my life. And that is, wow, like without a doubt, Tim, to me, that's where 
um, the story just gets really grimy at that moment. And that was an interesting piece of the all in guys going back and forth. Was it um, negligence by Robin Hood? Was it um, malicious by Robin Hood? Was it just unpreparedness? There's a spectrum of what could lay at blame for the Robin Hood founders from just poor planning all the way to maliciously criminal uh, intent. And these guys really got into it on that particular matter. And I don't know that I'm informed enough to have a say one way or another, but man, on face value, it just seems like there is something very wrong and against uh, you know free markets in that happening. Right. And what was fascinating about listening to the podcast, because you could really pick up on the animosity and kind of like, uh, what's another, like just just the anger from Chamath and Jason and David. I, I think it's Jason and I, I might be screwing up the names, but w- one of the guys, I think the host, you know, was bragging that, you know, he's got a big stake in Robin Hood. Yeah. And Chamath was like, dude, your company is crooked, man. They, they shut down the stocks. Like, I, I so. just wanted to confirm it. Yeah. Chamath was going at him and it was Jason who who holds, a, I guess, a significant stake in Robin Hood. He even says it right in his Twitter handle, which God bless him. Nothing wrong with that. But it was personal when those two were getting into it. So, right. So it, it could, you know, the, the big question is, did Robin Hood shut down trading because, uh, this is the ultimate question. Do they not have enough capital on hand to pay out the trades, which is pro- possibly a, a legitimate reason? Or did someone from um, the capital firm call them? Or, you know, I, I heard rumors about the White House, but we won't go there. Uh, did someone call Robin and tell them to shut it down uh, to protect someone's interest? Uh, or do they not have enough reserve capital on hand? Either way, it's kind of like a stupid or liar situation. They're both bad. Uh, and we need to find out which one it is. Yeah, and their messaging around it, the Robin Hood people, seems clunky at best. Um, and, you know, Tim, like I- I'm not a conspiracy dude, but I think when you're talking about money this significant and this big, um, people can kind of come out of the shadows, I can only imagine, right? And that doesn't even have to be some deep conspiratorial thing, but I think there is power that can rear its ugly head in moments like this uh, at, at any and all cost. No, no question. And this is why ultimately, you know, I thought it was funny that, you know, uh, the hedge fund guys kind of got maybe what was coming to them. Um, but ultimately, you know, we're playing with the whole financial system. Like, you know, I wouldn't have jobs unless like some sort of capital firm pumped money into this company or that money, you know, so I'm grateful that, you know, people have capital to invest in companies so I can have a job. So, but I just don't want the system to be gained and I don't want to put the whole financial markets at risk. So that's, that's why I'm not a fan of this situation. And I I hope that our government, um, you know, irons this stuff out, you know, makes the rules fair so something like this doesn't happen. And uh, I want to play you another clip to that point. Here, here we go. Some price discovery and they provide greater liquidity to markets. But is that really worth them really being the richest players in the game? It doesn't make any sense. And then when they lose, like in 2008, they get bailed out. It makes and no so sense. Something, it makes no sense. Something is wrong here. Now, is this a right wing view, a left wing view? It feels to me like there's a political realignment happening here where the left and the right, we're all getting on board with this idea and it's got to get fixed. Yeah, Tim, so, I, I, I love 
that part of it. So they're talking about hedge funds. And is there any value to society anymore for hedge funds? And they even make the point when AOC and um, Donald Trump Jr. and Ted Cruz are all in alignment, like that's something to take a look at. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, right. And, you know, over the last four years, man, I really think um, that our politicians' eyes weren't on the ball. Um, and I, I don't want to go into the, the gory details, but man, can we just focus on governing and, and, you know, making sure we get through this pandemic and making sure our capital and financial systems are good, man, if we can kind of, you know, take, take point the guns elsewhere and, uh, focus on the prize, hopefully maybe this situation, um, you know, brings us all together and, and gets, gets our eyes back on the prize, man. Yeah, I think that's uh, well said in your part, uh, for sure, Timmy. Yeah, just one other thing that I took away from these guys that I hadn't heard anywhere else in the deconstruction of this is that this was really – when I heard the stories uh, last week heading into today prior to listening to the podcast, this felt like an overnight sort of crisis and sensation to me, that the Reddit guys sort of rallied in, in one day on – on uh, online and and cause this whole thing to happen, but this was sort of months in the making, if not even over a year. I think they identified the first Wall Street bet guy on Reddit um, took a position to start the ball rolling on this over a year ago. Did I hear that right, Tim? Yeah, they said 2019. So that made me think, like, wait, is this was this like a long play? Did he take that position and then like maybe put out the information on Reddit? Was this like a scheme from Jump Street? Yeah, I don't know. And here's a question. You may not be equipped to answer this. This might be a more question for like the all in guys. But so if you're one of the Wall Street bet guys and you um, got in on this and like apparently there's people from on, on Reddit showing screenshots of their uh, Robin Hood accounts or whatever, where there was million dollar balances, like from one day of trading, they've, they, but don't you have to be able to sell at that high point to reap that meaning just sitting and holding that at that value doesn't mean you have those millions in the bank, right? Don't you have to then turn around and have a subsequent transaction and capture those profits? Exactly. And I, again, I don't know that much about it, but I think that like on paper, right, you're you're rich on paper, right? You're not liquid. I think that's that's the key difference. And I, I think that's the kind of the whole crux of this situation is, you know, these hedge fund guys like, all right, you guys got to sell at a certain, you know, at some point. And a lot of this stuff is ideologically based, like, Hey, we want to stick it to you, hedge fund guys. So we're not going to sell. Plus, we like GameStop. We're we're millennial bros that you know have a nostalgia for GameStop. So we we just want the stock just to have it. We could care less about the money. And it's that fundamental uh, take is what's screwing up the markets and how the markets don't know how to react because th- these guys aren't in it. The, the Reddit guys aren't in it just to make money. They're in it for the principalities of yeah. it. And that's what makes this so fascinating. Yeah, no doubt. So, dude, we could probably wax on here forever, but um, let's try and put a pin on this. I'll check in with you real quick. Any other clips we wanted to check in on or are okay to put a bow on this one? Yeah, I, I thought, you know, the other aspect of this podcast, I, I thought these guys had some really great ideas and solutions um, so I, I want to play you one and get your take before we wrap up on uh, one of the solutions that were offered here. 
if you charged 0.1% every time someone sold a share on the value of the share they sold, it would equal the capital gains tax. So what you could do is you could charge 0.1% on every trade. It would reduce all of this high-frequency nonsense where people trade in and out of stocks. It would force people to trade for the longer term or basically invest in companies. And you could get rid of the capital gains tax. Think about that. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, to kind of put that clip into context is, right, what we've been talking about, like, you know, should the stock market be treated as a casino or should it be treated as its intended purpose, you know, to really get it, get a grasp of what companies value are and for investors, you know, to pump capital into the system so we can create the next Facebook, create the next social media platform, create better technology, better medicines. Um, you know, these guys were basically touching on like, hey, let's let's rearrange these rules so investors are pumping money into the system. Yeah, let's let's make money um, and make livings, but let's also do it for the right reasons so we can create companies, uh, interject capital, and and keep this economy going. So, um, you know, I think capital gains tax. The reason why I like that because I, I think that's sort of like an unfair tax. I, I think that's a way better way for the government to to get revenue. Um, also kind of keep these stock trades in check. So they're not just trading like at a super fast level just to make money, uh, but doing it for the right reasons and, and, and incentivizing investors to invest for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. Yeah, that was definitely a um, rather interesting take you threw out there and, and a way to try and um, fix things a little bit by by tweaking how, how taxes are assessed and passed along and for what activities within trading you do that. So and not surprising coming from founders and and creators of businesses and brands that that would be an approach because these guys are all about building value and building businesses and um these guys are not just wild speculators so that that was an interesting take for sure so tim let's put a, a bow on this one so i'll just say first off uh, immediately gravitated to to these guys, their personas, the passion they spoke on this topic. And again, I'll be curious, was it this crisis and topic in of itself that drew sort of the passion from these guys? Or is this sort of their steady state energy wise when they're, when they're digging into anything? And if it even comes close to that, um, it, it's awesome. These guys are clearly sharp um, they have an interesting perspective with their work experiences and the things they've done in their careers and the investments they've made and the businesses they've they've raised and built up from scratch. Um, so I, I just think it's access to sharp minds in a way um, that's really unfettered. And these guys just just see seem really free and open to kind of share exactly what's you know in their hearts and minds on on, on matters. So I'm all in with these guys. I had a blast listening to this. And like I said, this was the best deconstruction of the Wall Street Bets uh, situation I've heard to this point, And it was highly entertaining at that. So uh, major, major props to the All In podcast. I'm so glad you and I stumbled onto this and decided, decided to review this. Um, Tim, what's your parting shots on All In with Chamath, Jason, David, and David? So, right, we review podcasts and, you know, m m for the most part, like 90% of them, you know, I, I enjoy, you know, uh, some of them feel like homework at times. You know, I have my go-to podcast where I, you know, 
every morning I wake up to see if there's a new show in the feed and I download it to where I go to get my news and opinions. And this one, man, I really, you know, honest, sincerely got to say, uh, I, I thought their opinions and their perspectives were refre- refreshing. Um, I didn't see any kind of like hacky political agenda. So, and, you know, I, I listened to maybe some of the first one and I'm looking at the episode titles I think these guys, for the most part, are, are progressive, left-leaning dudes. But you know, they, they were against you know uh, the censorship of of Trump, and so they have you know. So I, I really think they have like a unique, honest take on things. So uh, I'm going to check these guys out from from here on out because I'm really intrigued about what their their opinions are. So I'm all in, man. No pun intended. <laughs> and I think, Tim, though, while you're saying they might be like center-left progressive dudes, I'm fairly certain they teased their next episode is going to be them railing against Gavin Newsom. Did I hear that right? Yeah, well, they, they aren't – one of the guys is going to run for governor. Yeah, I think yeah, that's that awesome. Whole, I, yeah, that's incredible. So maybe they're just um, – not beholden to any ideology or political stripe. They just kind of call it as they see it, which I know is your favorite kind of people. Right. Well, you know, just listening to a lot of people from California without going into too much detail, (laughs) I I think people are a little bit fed up with some of the hackneyed uh, politics, man. And uh, people are leaving, you know, your boy Joe Rogan left. So I'll I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Well, Tim, I I felt like you and I had one of our more spirited discussions tonight. And I think that's a credit to the energy that the all in guys bring to their show. It kind of kind of inspired you and I to have that sort of uh, zest in reviewing them in this episode. So uh, again, um, all in, check it out, guys. If you're into topical market, political, investing, business building uh, perspective from some sharp guys. Tim, that was fun, man. Um, I'm already looking forward to the next one, bro. Yeah, man. Well, I got. I think I got one more clip for you, and I didn't say it. He said it. I know more about this than you do because I live in these markets. Sorry, you know, David said it, bro. <laughs> I live out here in these streets. <laughs> Sesame Street. <laughs> All right, man. I'll All right, talk buddy. to you, bro. You got it. Later. We are a dude and a bro podcast show. We are entrenched in podcasts. We want to do for the world of podcasting what Siskel and Ebert did for movies back in the day. So we love doing reviews of our favorite podcasts. We love suggesting new shows to all the fine folks out there in the world. And Tim and I love debating topics from the latest and greatest episodes of our favorite podcast shows. Hey guys, you would do us a huge favor if you could head over to podchaser.com. Podchaser is your one-stop shop for all things related to podcasts and your favorite podcast shows. Search a dude and a bro podcast show and then leave us a review. If you could take a moment to drop a few lines about what it is you enjoy about a dude and a bro podcast show over on the Podchaser site, we'd be eternally grateful for your support. Thanks so much, guys.